What is going on? Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Thanks so much for letting me be uh, part of your day. I appreciate it. Uh, I am going to reserve the coverage of the Supreme Court hearing oral arguments uh, in this Dobbs case, this abortion case. Uh, I'm going to reserve this for tomorrow. I'm just going to kind of touch on it real quick, but uh, I'm not going to break down the arguments as they unfolded. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. There are a number of accounts that I've uh, promoted or amplified on Twitter. And uh, if you are interested in seeing sort of the uh, the play-by-play, the, the live tweeting, uh, the Supreme Court oral arguments also could be heard at their website. They broadcast the, uh, the oral arguments as they were occurring. So uh, just real quick, though, that the, uh, this case, Dobbs, is what they refer to it as uh, for short, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And um, at the heart of this case is a, uh, a law known as House Bill 1510 or the Gestational Age Act. It was passed like three years ago, and it bans almost all abortions after 15 weeks. It carves out exceptions for medical emergencies, uh, as well as cases involving a severe fetal abnormality, but it does not make exceptions for rape or incest. <clears throat> and by the way, I always feel the need to point this out whenever you're discussing the rape or incest carve out, you're talking about less than 1% of all pregnancies. Now, whether or not that figure is accurate or not that's hard to say because you might have well i'm sure there are people who lie about uh the rape or the incest being the uh the cause for the pregnancy but it's a very very small part of pregnancies a portion of uh pregnancies jackson women's health organization is the only licensed abortion provider in the state and uh, they immediately went to federal court to challenge this law when it was passed. They argued that it's unconstitutional for the U.S. Supreme Court's previous cases. You'll hear stare decisis, which means uh, essentially precedent. Right? This is the way things have been ruled on in the past, and this actually came up in their oral arguments today. Uh, a couple of the conservative justices trying to get some clarity from the uh uh, attorneys to, uh, that were trying to strike the law down saying, well, wait a minute. Like, what about like, for example, Dred Scott, this was a terrible decision about slavery, right? The Dred Scott decision. And um, that was a bad call that the Supreme court made and finally was undone. But if we are to protect Roe v. Wade simply because of starry decisis, then aren't you arguing that we would also have to protect Dred Scott? just because stare decisis as well, because that's the precedent. And it sounds like there are a couple of them, like Kavanaugh was arguing this. I think Alito got into it as well. And uh, uh, Clarence Thomas was going sort of at the philosophical roots of the question, which, like, all right, so for me, my cards, and I always say this, cards on the table, um, I don't think Roe v. Wade, like, I'm fine with Roe v. Wade going away. Because to me, the argument is not about viability, and that was also debated today. It's not a question of the viability. Here's the central question around the issue. When do rights obtain? That's the question. 
When do rights obtain? And that's why, to me, the Texas heartbeat bill actually makes sense. Because if we declare somebody dead when their heart stops beating, doesn't it make sense to declare them alive when their heart starts beating? So that bill makes sense. It makes logical, consistent sense to me. Um, me personally, I believe life begins at conception because I don't know otherwise. And I don't want to err on the side of killing innocent people. So that's me. I understand that not everybody gets there and there are a lot of like exemptions and carve outs. And this also was debated during the uh, Supreme Court case today, uh, the oral arguments about uh, viability. Why 15 weeks of viability is too short, 24 weeks of viability that Roe uh, laid out. Casey, I should say, laid out. So Casey was the law. That one came, uh, that was the ruling that came after Roe's, like 20 years later, 19, 20 years later. Um, and they said that they can't ban abortion before viability. And it was like, and then that's where the 24 week viability thing came from. Well, you got babies that are born earlier than 24 weeks now and they live. So as science advances, does the viability uh, standard shrink? Right? Does it get shorter? This is what I mean. The whole the whole Roe v. Wade stuff, all, all of these laws, they're just a mess. They're just a mess. So um, I'd be you know okay with letting the states take this back up under their control because I think that's where it actually begins. Because I'm a federalist, and I think this is where uh, this was up to the states before. When you kill somebody, you get tried by the state. You don't get tried by the U.S. government usually. Right. So the states are in control of the criminal process. So I'm okay with that being the case here as well. So uh, that's, but like I said, we'll go into more of this tomorrow and we'll have audio from the oral arguments. Uh, They literally just uh, just wrapped up as I got on the air. A reminder, Tuesday, December 7th at Bank of America Stadium, we're going to be collecting bicycles along with the Carolina Panthers and our friends at WSOC TV as part of Hancock's Bikes for Kids. John Hancock. Uh, has been doing this for 28 years, and we would love for you to be able to help us continue this tradition Tuesday, 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 December 7th, from 10 a.m. until 7 p.m. Get your hands on some bikes now before uh, it's too late because of, uh, you know, supply chain issues. Go to WBT.com for all the details. Um, Oh, also, I almost forgot. I did forget, actually, in the first segment. To welcome the governor to Charlotte. Welcome He's probably already gone. But welcome to Charlotte. He was there for here for the big ribbon cutting on the Honeywell announcement and new headquarters and all that. Yeah. So so in fact there are there are tax cuts that Governor Cooper does like. That's that is one of the things that we have learned. Yes, there are tax cuts that Cooper supports. Only targeted ones to businesses he likes apparently, but that's the <laughs> That's the standard. Um, a federal judge in Louisiana blocked President Biden's vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, issuing a nationwide injunction on Joe Biden's order. Daily Advertiser reporting that uh, Louisiana Western District U.S. Judge Terry Doty or Doughty. The decision follows an identical ruling that came the day prior on Monday from the Missouri U.S. District Judge Matthew Shelp. Uh, But Shelp's decision only covered 10 states. Here's what Dowdy said at Louisiana, quote, 
if the separation of powers meant anything to the constitutional framers, it meant that three necessary ingredients to deprive a person of liberty or property, the power to make rules, to enforce them, and to judge their violations, that these three ingredients could never fall into the same hands. Again, the power to make the rules, the power to enforce the rules, and then the power to judge the violations of the rules. Never let them be in one entity's hands. Okay? And if the executive branch is allowed to usurp the power of the legislative branch to make law, two of the three powers conferred by our Constitution would be in the same hands. If human nature and history teach anything, it is that civil liberties face grave risks when governments proclaim indefinite states of emergency. This has been my beef with uh, Governor Cooper and the Emergency Management Act and the defenders of Cooper. And anytime you want to talk about the Emergency Management Act fix, these proposals that the legislature ran to try to rein in the indefinite and unlimited power that Governor Cooper assumed at the beginning of the pandemic, we're always met with these arguments. Well, why do you, why do you want to stop him from saving lives? There is a principle at play. Right? There, is, there is a separation of powers argument that cannot be ignored. And the people who say, well, Governor Cooper didn't abuse it. I mean, he did what he had to do. First off, I'm not so sure that's the case. I, I, I'm not. I, I don't necessarily agree with that argument. But even if I did, it still does not eliminate the need to rein in one man's unilateral power. Whatever that, whoever that man might be or woman might be as governor. Right? In this case, it's Cooper. It could be any other governor of North Carolina that decides to take on these emergency powers for themselves. Everybody should agree that that's not what our system was designed to allow. Um, so there's the vaccine mandate. That's good news. We'll keep you posted on that as it uh, develops. Oh, by the way, on the program today, Sean Spicer, uh, former uh, White House press secretary and current host on Newsmax. He'll join me uh, at uh, 1 o'clock and then at 2 o'clock. Karen Bentley running for Congress, former Mecklenburg County Commissioner. She's running in the 13th District. We'll uh, talk with her about her campaign. That's at 2. Um, North Carolina's Court of Appeals, meanwhile, has thrown out a retired trial judge's order forcing state officials to transfer almost $2 billion out of the state treasury for education-related spending. This is the Leandro case. This was a win. By the way, this is what happens when you have conservatives on the bench. And I know the left thinks that this is judicial activism. It, even in the Roe v. Wade thing, they're going to say, if the, if the Supreme Court says, kick it back down to the states and let the states decide, the left will make a completely fictitious argument that that is judicial activism when in fact the activism occurred 50 years ago almost with Roe that was the activism unwinding that mess of decisions that all came from Roe that's repairing the activism that that's the point it's not about divining new law it's about saying this is what the lawmakers said this is what it states in the law and so you may not like that law, but that is what it says. And if you don't like the law, then you change the law. 
That's the way the system is supposed to operate. It's one of the biggest beefs that I had over the whole uh, Charlotte City Council ordinance on the bathroom bill back, what, five years ago, whenever it was. With not HB2, the state response, but the local ordinance. I read the ordinance. I read the minutes of the city council meeting. I wasn't working in Charlotte at the time, but I read through all of it because it was the wellspring from which HB2 came. And I'll never forget at a council meeting, then city attorney Bob Hageman telling the city council that they just wouldn't enforce the law as it was written because it could be used to shut down and fine businesses every single day if they don't add new bathrooms. And Hageman said, oh, I don't think that they would just enforce that. Well, you don't get to make that call. That's not your call. You don't put stuff on the books and then say we won't enforce it. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It's not the way it's supposed to work. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. This music, you know what? It just it makes me want to give away tickets to the uh, Subway ACC Championship game. It's Saturday, 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 December 4th at Bank of America Stadium. Call now at 704-570-1110 or 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, you call now, you get a pair of tickets to the Subway ACC Championship game right now. Uh, what number do you want to do? Seventh caller at 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Good luck. And if you don't win, don't worry. We're giving tickets away all this week and uh, on all of the uh, the shows. So keep listening for more chances to win. So the North Carolina Court of Appeals threw out the order from a Union County judge, now retired, uh, Democrat, through the uh, through the uh, the order out that would have forced the funding of a consultant's education improvement plan. This is the Leandro case. I've talked about this before. The uh, case has been running for like thirty years in North Carolina, and the original judge in the case, Howard Manning, uh, since retired, um, the new judge appointed to replace him. By the way, Manning was a Republican. And Judge David Lee, the replacement, Democrat. And David Lee tried to force the movement of $1.7 billion into education funding without any approval from the legislative branch. So the Court of Appeals... This was one of their panels, a three-judge panel. It was a two-to-one ruling. The two Republicans, Chris Dillon and uh, Jefferson Griffin, they issued the order. The uh, The dissent came from John Arrowwood, the Democrat. Uh, although, I will say, let me jump ahead here, because at the end of this article at Carolina Journal, it says, uh, John Arrowwood dissented from the order. He would have granted a temporary stay in the school funding case. But he accused his colleagues of violating procedural norms to reach a quick conclusion. Had the case extended past November, a different three-judge appellate panel could have addressed the petition. So the Democrat says, well, you know, I, I would have kind of agreed with you on, you know, preventing the, the money from being moved. But I just think you guys went really, really fast on this. 
which was then picked up and echoed and amplified by uh, the North Carolina political media, WRAL most notably. You know, oh my gosh, I can't believe they moved so quickly. Well, they took up the case. They heard the case. They were like, let's schedule this thing. We've got two to one. Like, yeah, no, this is an obvious, this is an obvious decision. If you want to appeal it, which they are considering doing, then uh, then they'll be able to appeal it. So the two-to-one ruling from the state's second-highest court arrives less than a week after the state controller asked the court for a writ of prohibition to block the money transfer. The order would have forced the controller and other state officials to remove money from the Treasury without authorization from the General Assembly. This became time-sensitive because the General Assembly just passed the budget and the governor signed it into law. The appeals court targeted a key piece of the judge's order. Judge David Lee acknowledged that court precedent recognized state lawmakers' power over appropriations of state money. The trial judge also noted that judges lacked authority to order state officials to move the money from the state treasury. But he said, that those cases do not bar the court's chosen remedy because I went over this a couple of weeks ago when I went through this ridiculous argument that uh, the plaintiffs were making in order to get more money. They said that the simple reading of the plain text of the North Carolina Constitution was basically an appropriation of funds, which is absurd. It's asinine, okay? And it's judicial activism, and that's what we witnessed get slapped down yesterday. First, the trial court's interpretation of Article 1 would render another provision of our Constitution meaningless, they said. The provision where the framers specifically provided for the appropriation of certain funds. Right? So if you have you got two statements, one of them says, this is how you appropriate money. And then the other one's like, yeah, the state should be doing this thing. And what this judge said, and the plaintiffs argued, and convincingly so, apparently, that the judge agreed with them, that when you have that one statement that says, hey, the state should do this thing, that that's an appropriation and that that should be a superior controlling law than the part of the Constitution that says all appropriations must be approved by the legislature. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And this is why like, a decision like this restores a little bit more of my faith in the judicial system. Um, the order goes on to... Mention Article 9 of the state constitution that spells out the details for raising money to address public education. Second, and more fundamental, the trial court's reasoning, in other words, the original judge here, would result in a host of ongoing constitutional appropriations enforceable through court order that would devastate the clear separation of powers between the legislative and judicial branches and threaten to wreck the carefully crafted checks and balances that are the genius of our system of government. That is from the the two-judge panel, the two of the three judges in this court order. That quote does not appear in any of the other coverage from our North Carolina political press, which is kind of astounding because that's a really powerful statement. Don't you think? That it would threaten to wreck the carefully crafted checks and balances that are the genius of our system of government. They went on to add that it is constitutionally impermissible and beyond the power of the trial court to have done this. It had no authority to order the appropriation of money. 
So that's a pretty big smackdown, rightfully so. The majority also said that their order does not impact the part of the lower court's decision saying that the funding is necessary. The two Republican judges said that it is up to the legislative and executive branches to provide the money. If the other branches of government still ignore it, quote, the remedy lies not with the courts, but at the ballot box. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Sean Spicer will jo- uh, join the program after the 1 o'clock news. Stick around for that. The 2-1 uh, to one decision out of the uh, North Carolina Court of Appeals panel said that uh, the order does not impact the lower court's decision. Came from Judge David Lee at a Union County over the Leandro case now. Uh, doesn't impact his decision saying that the funding is necessary. Here's the key, though. In our system, the funding has to be appropriated by the legislature. It is not appropriate. It is not constitutional. It's not legal for a judge to order it to be so. And when we went over these arguments that were being promoted by the North Carolina attorney general, who owes so much, wants to be governor, um, we pointed this out. This is not legal. This is activism at its worst. It is trying to construct a rationalization, a justification. It's the thing that drives me nuts where people just extrapolate out. They spin out these theories in order to get to a place that they wanted to arrive at but didn't know how to get there. So they, it's, it's the difference between inductive versus deductive reasoning. So like most people think like, uh, 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 what's his name? Sherlock Holmes, Right. And, you know, he deduces. And no, he's actually, it's inductive. The the author knew where the conclusion of the book was going to be, and then he induces the pieces of evidence to get to that point. It's actually like one of the great oxymorons of literature. Anyway, the deductive is, no, you, you deduce from the evidence, and you get to the point. This is, you know, this is the fundamental difference, in my opinion, is when you, when you look at the law and you're like, this is what the law says. And as a judge, I may not like that. I may not agree with that. And as the citizenry, you may not like it either. It may not even be what the lawmakers intended, but this is what they wrote. This is what got passed. This is what the law says. And if you know all things being equal, I'm just going to go with what the plain language of the law says. I'm not going to divine meanings. And this is how you end up with decisions like Roe v. Wade. Or Obergefell, which, by the way, like on gay marriage stuff, I was arguing like the government shouldn't even be in this line of work to begin with. They should have just said, you know what, we're not going to be sanctifying relationships with these documents. We're not going to do it. And if you want to enter, you know, if you want to have a marriage contract, you can get a marriage contract just like you can get a contract for anything else. Um, but, you know, people didn't want to do that. And so we fought it out. We went to court. And then you end up with love wins as a <laughs> as a judicial precedent. <laughs> okay, I'm sure I'm sure none of that's going to come back and bite us. So, uh, what else we got here on this? Uh, this is from the News and Observer story. The appellate intervention is the latest chapter in the Leandro school funding case. 
originally filed back in 1994. And uh, this was a bunch of families from poor counties that's, and counties and ended up getting like a whole bunch of plaintiffs that have added on. I think at one point, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools was both a plaintiff and a defendant. It's just been kind of crazy. Um, it's uh, I've seen uh, uh, Dina Ballard, state senator, who's the chair of the Education Committee in the state Senate. She's called it a circus at this point. Um, the judge, a retired Union County judge, registered Democrat, David Lee, was assigned the case by the Supreme Court in 2016 when the original judge, Howard Manning, he who coined the term uh, academic genocide that was occurring, David Lee has been now in charge of this case. The News and Observer does not mention Howard Manning, and I suspect it has something to do with the fact that Manning has been very critical of David Lee, Judge Lee's attempt to force this funding without legislative approval. And uh, Manning has pointed out that money doesn't solve what ails the system. By the way, did you hear what in that newscast... uh, Mark Garrison, he's got some quote from Ernest Winston, I swear. Like, I could do my entire show every single day just playing Ernest Winston sound bites. But what's the last one? That the reason why the kids are bringing the guns to school is because of the COVID, is because of the pandemic, because the schools were closed down. Well, gee, who did that? Who's responsible for that? You're not making a good argument for the schools not having responsibility for what's happening at the schools, right? I know, I know. It's like, how did we fail the child? How did we all fail the child that came to the school that you closed and are not screening people coming in? How did we fail? (laughs) Right. Our fault. Not yours. The ones that closed the schools and the ones that don't require the clear backpacks, the ones that don't require the metal detectors. The ones that apparently try to pressure girls into not reporting their rapes on campus, right? It's our fault somehow. Anyway, back to this Leandro case. Judge David Lee ordered the state controller, Linda Combs, as well as state treasurer Dale Falwell and state budget director Charles Perouse to fund the first two years of the plan. Combs, who was nominated by former Republican Governor Pat McCrory, filed a petition last week asking the Court of Appeals to block the court order. Combs echoed the arguments of Republican legislative leaders who said that the state constitution only gives the General Assembly the authority to appropriate money. Yes, Combs did, in fact, echo the arguments of the Republican legislature, which, by the way, are in the Constitution. They're literally the words in the state constitution. It says it right there. Article 9, right there. The legislative branch appropriates the money. This is Civics 101 stuff. I know. It's, I know. I, maybe I am expecting too much <laughs> from the press corps. It's possible. I might be expecting too much. I mean, like, am I expecting too much to simply ask the press corps to read the state constitution? Uh, not even the whole thing, just the part. That has to do with the law that's at issue. Just read the two parts, two parts of the, the, the state constitution. The one part that says, you know, the sound basic education part that's not even in the constitution, but that's what Manning uh, divined out of the constitution, that the state is tasked with providing the privilege 
for the right to have the education, and then you've got the appropriation from the legislative branch. There's These things are spelled out in black and white in the Constitution, and the, the concept of appropriation occurring at the legislative level goes back to the founding documents of the country. Civics 101. You guys are supposed to be informing the population. What kind of population of citizens do you expect to have? Okay, wait, I, I know the answer to that question. <laughs> right? People that are relying on you to be informed and you're not doing your job. This is why I get so, so mad at the, the media critique stuff. This is why it just, it chaps me. So. Because it's such an important part of the job. But I know, it's all about narratives now. All right, uh, actually, we'll talk a little bit about this with Sean Spicer. Up next, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT.